Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today and to worship the name of Jesus. Your word says that it's the name of Jesus that is above every name. And so we lift up that name together and we come to you today and together we lift our voices, we lift our hearts, we lift our hands up in worship to that name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that that name would be glorified and your word promises us that if Jesus be lifted up, that he will draw all men unto himself. And we know that that refers to him dying on the cross for us, but we can also individually lift up that name of Jesus through our own worship. And I pray that through those things that indeed you will draw people to yourself today. Father, we thank you for your presence that we can feel in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series of messages this morning And I'm looking forward to it, and our series is called When You Pray. And there are some wonderful prayers contained in Scripture that we're going to look at throughout the month of February, and we're going to start off with the most popular prayer found in all of Scripture, the one that is repeated more than any other prayer, and that, of course, is the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse number 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The King James also includes the phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So why did Jesus tell us to pray like this? This example of prayer is something, of course, that has been used over the last 2,000 years, and it has been used to just extreme amounts. But why would Jesus have instructed us to pray like this if there were not things contained within this that were very significant and substantial? And I have to say that I believe that Jesus is wanting to show us things contained in this prayer that we should use when we pray rather than to necessarily always use this prayer as a prayer. So let's break it down and let's look at what's contained in the Lord's Prayer. The first thing I want you to look at is Jesus when he said that we should pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven. I want you to understand that this little phrase contains and tells us who God is, where he is, and ultimately what he is. So number one, it says that he is God our Father. And I want us to understand that as that that statement saying that God is our Father, we relate that to our relationship to our fathers. I've told the story before that when I was a kid, maybe 14 years old, I walked into a barber shop in our community not far from our home, and I was there to get a haircut, and I was by myself. 
And there was a gentleman sitting in the barber chair that was getting his hair cut, and he looked at me and he said, don't say a word. Now, I've, I've been told that many times in my life, but generally it's after I've already talked too much. I hadn't said anything, and this guy is saying, don't say a word. He said, I know who you are. He said, I've never met you, but I know who you are. You are Larry Taylor's kid. And I thought, how in the world could he know that? And it was because he said, every, every movement I made, everything that I did was exactly like my dad. Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. That guy was saying that he knew that I belonged to Larry Taylor. I was his kid. The psalmist said that we are God's. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You know, as a parent, if you asked me, are those my kids? I would say, yes, those kids belong to me, my children. They're my children. We think of it in a possessive way. They belong to us. David, in the 23rd Psalm, he said, the Lord is my Shepherd, there is a relationship. There is a connection there. Romans chapter 14 and verse 4, the apostle Paul says this, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You know, in Scripture, when uh, it refers to God as our Father, it uses a word that means, the, the actual Greek word is Abba, and it, it refers to Daddy. It, it, it is a, a, a referring to a relationship between a child and their father. The Apostle Paul tells us that God gives us the spirit of adoption. And there is that, that willingness, that desire to have that relationship, that connection. In 1 John chapter 12, Jesus, or John says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So God the Father desires to have a relationship with his children the same way, not, not even in the same way, but to a much greater way than I even desire to have with my own children. I love Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 where Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In other words, when we open the door of our heart to Jesus, he comes in and we begin a relationship with Jesus and with the Father as well. Number two, he is the God in heaven. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. So it's not just that God um, is located in heaven. And we know, of course, that God is omnipresent and that he is all places at the same time. But his place of residence is in heaven. And it's not just that he is there, but he created it. In Genesis chapter 1-1, the scripture tells us not only in Genesis 1-1, but also in John 1-1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Acts chapter 7, verse 49. It says that God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. In Psalm 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 2, it says, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. So in other words, God is not just in heaven, but He, uh, heaven and earth belong to our God. And then number three, he is a holy God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then Psalm 95 in verse 3, it says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Isaiah had a vision in which he was taken into God's throne room. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, it says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they, were co they, they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When we think of holy, we often think of perfection. But when we say that God is holy, it's so much more than just perfection and sinless. It includes transcendence. There is none like God. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he loves us. And when we come to him and when we pray, we acknowledge that God is our father. We acknowledge that he is the God of heaven, and he is above all gods. Let's move on to the next part in Jesus' prayer when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, Jesus, during his ministry, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So that tells us, first of all, that God has his own kingdom. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So how do we go from being part of the dominion of darkness and come into the kingdom of God? I'll tell you how Jesus really laid this out marvelously to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he said that you needed to be born again. In other words, to be born of the Spirit. Jesus said you must be born of water and of the Spirit. He went on to say that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, we read, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Friends, it's exciting to know that Jesus will return to earth according to the scripture and he will set up a physical kingdom 
on the earth. That's what the Jews were looking for during his ministry. That's what they were asking him about. Would he set up a kingdom on earth? Jesus will return. He will set up his kingdom on earth. And that kingdom will be characterized and is characterized by life. Jesus in John chapter 11, as he was near Lazarus' grave and having a conversation with Lazarus' sisters, said in John 11, 25 and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus' kingdom is characterized by life, and that life is abundant life here on earth, and it is eternal life in heaven with God. That is the the nature of his kingdom. Secondly, God has a will, this phrase tells us, and that will he desires to be done. You know, in the garden of, uh, of Gethsemane before Jesus was arrested. Jesus is having a conversation in prayer with his heavenly father. And in that prayer, Jesus acknowledges that his will at that moment is contrary to the will of God. He said, God, if it's possible at all, let this cup, let this circumstance, let this responsibility pass from me if there's any other way that we can do this. And then he goes on and he said, but not my will, but yours be done. That was a hard prayer for Jesus to pray because he knew ultimately what it meant. He knew that it meant that he was going to go to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. You know, you and I, for us to pray that prayer, it's a hard prayer as well because it means that we need to relinquish our will and be willing to accept God's will because when we want to do what we want to do, we want to do it and we want it to be a about what we desire and what we want. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11 gives us a great uh, understanding and a great promise of God's will. When he tells us, he said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a specific will to happen in this earth. He has a specific will and a plan to happen in our lives, and it is a good plan. His will is a good thing. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus tells us, but seek first his kingdom, meaning God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This starts when we begin to submit our will to God. His kingdom is coming. The question is, will you or, or will I, will we be ready for that kingdom? Our readiness begins by our submission ultimately to his will. Let's look at the third phrase where Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. You know, I wonder with this prayer, why didn't God just continue the manna that we've been talking about for the last month from our series, Let My People Go? Why didn't God just continue the manna that came down from heaven? If he told us that we should ask for God to give us daily bread, how come there's not manna on the grass when we wake up in the morning? 
You know, I, I wonder how often any of us actually asks God for food on a daily basis. Most of us, when we get ready to eat a meal, we will bow our heads with our family and we will pray and we will thank God uh, for the food that he's provided us. He'll ask, we'll ask him to bless that food and to use the energy that we get from it for his glory. But I think Jesus here is asking for something far bigger than just uh, our daily provision. Look at what, uh, what Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, what Jesus said. He said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if God knows what we need before we even ask him, why does he tell us that we should ask him? Why do we need to actually go through that process of asking? James chapter 4 and verse 2, the second half of the verse there, uh, James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. I love what Proverbs 22 verse 9 says. It says, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they will share their food with the poor. So Jesus tells us that we should ask for daily bread, and the, and the Proverbs tells us that, that, that as, as righteous people, as generous people, we will share our food with those who are actually in need. So we're commanded to share our food. When Jesus, in, uh, before he started his ministry, was tempted in the wilderness, he answered Satan and he said that man does not live on bread alone. The idea of bread is a symbol of what sustains us in our spiritual lives. Jesus said, give me what I need. He said to pray this way, that, that God give me what I need in order to be sustained. And that can be physical, but I believe that it can also be emotional and spiritual. Scripture says that God's grace will be sufficient for us. And I believe that what we are Asking is for God's sufficiency in every aspect and every element of our lives. Right now, I know that there are several from our church family that are in the ICU here in Marquette. And as those families pray, they are praying undoubtedly for healing, but they are asking God for his sufficiency. They're not asking God for food. They're asking to make it through today. God, by your grace, help my loved one to make it through today. Bring your healing power into their lives. Number four, we are going to uh, uh, read this phrase that Jesus said, uh, forgive the, us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, in the life of the Christ follower, forgiveness must be a two-way street. Because we know that we are in need of forgiveness. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages or the earnings for that sin is death. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we read, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You see, forgiveness is Jesus' message of the kingdom. 
And I want us to understand that not only should we come to God and ask for forgiveness, but we also must be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15, Jesus said, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sin. So when we come to God, we must acknowledge our need to be forgiven, but we must also be willing to forgive those who have sinned ultimately against us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John uh, says, if we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we come to God, God says, I will be faithful, I will be just, I will forgive you of our sin. And then our responsibility is that we forgive those who have sinned against us. And in fact, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, it even indicates that before we come to God and we ask him for forgiveness for our sins that we have already forgiven those who have sinned against us. And how often do we come to God and we ask him for his forgiveness and yet we have held on to that unforgiveness toward others. Man, I, I, I am so thankful that our sins can be forgiven, but we dare not stop there. We must forgive those who have sinned against us. And then finally, Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Years and years ago, when Veronica and I were in our first church in Watoma, Wisconsin, there was a friend of mine that told me about something that the DNR used to do on the last day of deer season. Every deer hunter wants to be able to get a buck. Man, you, you want to get that buck. It feels so good when you, you get that buck. And what the DNR would do is they took uh, a, 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 not even a, a trophy buck. They took a, a small buck, you know, a small rack and had it taxidermied. And they would set it in the field um, off the main highway as, as hunters are, are leaving town and they would put it out there, and sure enough, every uh, so often on that last day of the season, a hunter would pull over on that road, and they would pull out their rifle and get off to the side of the road, and they would, they would take a shot at that buck out there in the field, and the DNR would be waiting to make an arrest. And of course, we, we know that something like this uh, you know, maybe it, was, it, it happened back then, but they, now they've said that something like this is entrapment. And I want you to know, I, I, as I grew up, I used to think that God was like that DNR officer wanting to provide me an opportunity so that I would fail and he could catch me in my sin. But I have learned that that is not who God is. That is not what God wants to do. He does not want to entrap us in sin. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 13, the second half of the verse, it says that God does not tempt anyone. You see, God actually wants us to avoid temptation. He wants us to be able to find a way out of it. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, 
He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The bottom line is that each of us is going to face temptation on a regular basis. Sometimes that temptation comes out of left field. Sometimes it comes out of our own heart and mind. But wherever it comes from, God has not been the one that has brought it. In fact, he's the one that provides the way for us to escape. The question is, do we want that escape? It's up to us. Jesus wants us to ask God, deliver us from evil. Lord, don't, don't d- deliver us from temptation. That is the desire that God ultimately has. You know, a number of years ago, while my mom was alive, she came and shared her own story. And in her story, she told us that she was separated from her mother for 47 years. That separation started when she was seven years old. And at the age of 54, she got a phone call from someone that she did not know. And on that phone call, the voice on the other end of the line asked her, would you like to meet your mother? She was dumbfounded by the call. She had questions everywhere in her mind about this call. Why would my mother want to be reunited with me? What is the purpose of this call? What does my mom have in mind? Is this even real? All of these questions rolling around in her mind. She told the voice on the other end of the phone that yes, she would like to meet her mother. And through God's miraculous provision, she was reunited with her mother. And not only did she just get to meet her mom, but over the next eight years, they were able to develop a relationship. And they were able to become mother and daughter until the time my grandmother passed away. They were reunited. It's a story that I say that even Oprah can't touch. It's so fantastic. But you know what's even a greater story? If you're listening to my voice and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't have a relationship with God, God wants to be restored in a relationship with you. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, really gives us that heart. It tells us that God desires to be our Heavenly Father. He wants to be restored to you. Maybe you prayed this prayer a lot when you were a kid and you never really thought about it. But God loves you. He wants to be restored to you. And he wants us to be part of his kingdom. He wants us to be part of what he is going to do on this earth. He wants ultimately to meet our needs as well. And he wants us to bring those needs to him. 
Not, not just to, to give us a meal today, but he truly wants to meet the needs, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual needs of our lives. He wants to forgive us of our sin. He wants us to forgive others who have sinned against us. And he wants to ultimately protect us from the temptation that comes from the evil one. And as we use the Lord's Prayer, I want to encourage you not to, to simply quote it by rote, but to use it as a way to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer becomes a way that we can express these things to God and be confident as we pray to him. You know, if you're here and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, there's another prayer that you can pray. And it's simply to say this, dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I'm in need of forgiveness. And the Lord's Prayer has made me aware of that. And I'm also aware that God wants a relationship with me. He wants to meet my needs. He wants to keep me from temptation. He wants to deliver me from the evil one. So Jesus, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me my sins. I ask you to restore me to my heavenly Father. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me so that I might have abundant life on this earth and eternal life in heaven. The Bible says that when we pray a simple prayer like that, that all of heaven rejoices because we've been restored to our heavenly Father. My prayer for you today is that you would, not just today, but every day, that you would make a prayer like the Lord's Prayer your prayer, and that you would experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together before we dismiss. I just want to pray God's blessing on you today. Father, I thank you for this prayer that we can look at, that we can learn from. And I'm so grateful that you want to be restored to us. I'm so grateful that you have a will and a plan for our lives if we'll only submit to it. I'm so thankful that you forgive us of our sins. I'm thankful that you have a desire to provide for us. And Father, as we come to you today, I pray that you would protect us, that you would provide that way of escape for us for temptation. And I pray that we will arm ourselves with a prayer like the Lord's Prayer and that we will see incredible things happen in our lives as we surrender to your will and to your plan for our lives. Father, I thank you today. I pray your blessing over these that are here, whether in person or through church online. Father, I pray today that your blessing would rest upon them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, if you prayed for the first time in your life to ask Jesus to be your Savior, I would just ask you to do something for me. If you're 
gathered in person with us today, would you make sure that you grab that card from the seat pocket in front of you that says decide? And when you fill that out and drop that in one of our connect boxes here at the church, or if you're worshiping with us through church online, would you go online and fill out our online card at silvercreekchurch.org slash decide. It's a great way to let us know that you've made a decision to follow Christ. Thank you for being with us today. We love you. God bless you.